I'm coming up here where, uh, can you hear me? I'm coming up here where not you can see me, but where I can see you. Uh, Earl Smith, bless his heart. I knew Earl a hundred years ago. Yeah, I, I saw Earl and, and lo and behold, I said, Earl, how you doing? We talked, we went to junior college together before we went, both went to University of Georgia and we talked, we've seen him, we had dinner with him several times. And so I saw him this morning and I found out that Earl was, was going to be ordained as a deacon. I said, Earl, you've been a deacon. He said, well, this is a retread. <laughs> so I had, to, I had the opportunity to be here and see the retread applied. And Earl, it's good to see y'all. And other friends that we've made down here over the last many years. But today it's a great opportunity to me to come and speak with this church about something that I have a real passion for. And I think you will as well. Global media outreach, which is one of the greatest tools, maybe the greatest tool that God has given us to win the lost of the world to him since the Holy Bible. And I'm serious about that. And I want to talk to you about that uh, in, a, in a few minutes, but I want to, where's Mike, Mike Rainey? Mike Rainey, are you here? Okay, Mike, I want you to stand up, Mike. Just stand up. Everybody gaze upon this guy. Thank you, Mike. Mike Rainey lives over in Putnam County. And I showed him this program about a year ago when he was one of those guys, when he saw it, he got it. He said, this is it. This is it. Not only that, he brought a retired general from the Army to my house that same night. He got it too. And he's trying to get this same program that we're talking about. It's not a program. It's a tool. I don't want to call it a program. But he's trying to get that in the, in the, into the military as we speak. Having said that, let me say this, and I want to tell you a little bit about my life and how it was altered back in, in the, the, the early 90s especially. But, you know, no matter how great a program that God or a, a tool that God builds and makes for us, if he hands that off to us and we don't have a real compassion and passion for the lost people of the world to win them for Christ, then that too will never, ever be a reach its maxim, maximum utility that God intended for it to reach. Do you understand what I'm saying? You and, and me, we are the driving force. We are the fuel that will fuel that too, no matter what it may be. And I, and I want, this is so important to me, and I don't want to overdo this, but by the same token, I want to tell you why I feel so strongly about this. Years ago, uh, I had, we call this a backslidden condition, and everybody recognizes that term, I'm sure, here today, but that's what happened to me. I was saved when I was 17 years old, but between that time and the time that I finished college, went to Atlanta, went to work, became married, there was a distance that developed between my Savior and myself, and there was an event that happened in my life, I won't go into the details, but I'll tell you. It was a shock that shocked the very foundation of who and what I was. And in that process of thought and meditation and prayer, I moved back into a climate with my Savior that needed to be done, and I did that. And as a result of that, I became very active in my church. I became a deacon. I became a Sunday school teacher. I tithed my income. And you know, nobody ever asked me this, 
But if somebody had said, well, where, where are you in, in your church? I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm in well standing with my church. I, I'm in good standing with my church. That's what I would have said had I been asked that question. And one day I get a phone call from our assistant pastor, and he said, Herb, there's a pastor's conference going on in Atlanta, and I, and I want you to go. And I said, Max, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I said, I don't need to go to that. That's for you guys. He called me the second time. Then the third time. I want you to go to this event. I, I think it'll be a blessing in your life. And finally, not because I had any kind of deep inspiration of the Holy Spirit to go, although the Holy Spirit was involved in this, I went to appease Max. And I said, you know, I'll go and I'm going to go that the first service in the morning and then I'll leave probably at lunch. Well, I got there that morning and, man, I heard a guy preach. Black guy from New Shiloh Baptist Church, Baltimore, Maryland. His name was Harold Carter. I'll never forget him. Some of the greatest preaching I've ever heard in my life. So I said, I think I'll go back this afternoon, get some more of that. And I went back, and then the next day I went again, and that afternoon I was there, and, and I heard a man preach a sermon on the carnal Christian. Now, when somebody says carnal Christian, what do you think about? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer me, but I, I, let me tell you what I thought. That's probably the guy that runs off with the piano player in the church. You know, he's been engaged in church. She has too, but they, they take off, you know. He's, he's carnal as all get out. Maybe it's somebody who has a illicit relationship going on in the church. That's what came to my mind. Well, this preacher's going to preach a sermon on the carnal Christian. And his, his text that he used, uses is from Luke 15th chapter. And you remember the story and the, the parables that Christ gave about those things that was lost. The first thing that was lost was the sheep. You remember the lost sheep story? After that was the lost coin. And after the lost coin was a son that was lost. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that's kind of... The prodigal son, as we call him. And that's kind of, I can identify that because that's kind of where I was when I had moved away from Christ and then came back. So the carnal Christian is going to be that younger brother, right? And he told the story. You know it. The son, the youngest son went to the father and he said, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of working on this farm. I'm, I've had it. I want to leave. I want you to give me all those things and all the wealth that's coming to me. And I want to go do my thing. And that's what he did. And the word says that he went off in a distant land. And he spent all the wealth that his father had given him. And he became finally destitute, didn't he? And he was out there, young Jewish boy, feeding the hogs. Feeding hogs, man, they don't, Jewish people don't even hang out. They don't have anything to do with hogs. You know that was demoralizing. And the word says that he what? He came to himself, didn't he? He came to himself. He said, man, what have I done? Here I am in a Gentile's hog pen feeding his hogs, and my dad's over there got this big farm. He's got servants living better than I am. I'm fixing to humble myself, get myself together, go home, and ask for him to just give me something to do where I can hang around. I've had it with this. And he did, didn't he? 
And the word says that his father saw him as he came down the road. And he recognized him as his son. And he ran to him. And he hugged him. And he kissed him. And he took him home. Put a gold finger, a gold ring on his finger, put a robe on his back. And he killed a fatty calf. And he had a banquet. Man, I love that story. Isn't that good? Forgiveness, man, like it's never been preached before. But that's not the end of the story, although I had already made up my mind what this preacher's talking about is that carnal Christian is that young, younger brother. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? story doesn't stop there. It's said that during the banquet that they have for the young son who had come home, the elder brother came home, didn't he? And when he came home, he was upset big time. Asked one of the servants, what's going on in there? Said, hey, your brother that was gone, he's back home now. We're having a party for him. The servant evidently told the father that the elder son was out there. And he went out and said, son, come on in. Come on in. We're having a party for your brother. He said, what do you mean you're having a party for your brother? You know, he left. He took that money you gave him. He lived in, out with a bunch of harlots and spent all that money. And I had to pick up the slack when he left and do all the work, wasn't doing much when he was here to begin with. He spent all that wealth. Now he's back here. And while he was gone, I had to do everything. And on top of that, you know, you giving him the fatted calf that I've been feeding all this time. And, and you wouldn't even give me a billy goat for my buddies now to have a barbecue. Now that's not the King James version of that, but that's really what he said. That's really what he said. And you remember what the father said. He said, son, you've been with me always. Everything I have is yours. Your brother was lost and now he's saved. He was dead and now he's alive. You know, <clears throat> I begin to see the picture. The carnal Christian in that story was indeed the eldest brother. And this preacher went on, and he's talking to 2,000 pastors, and this guy right here. He said, guys, I want to tell you something. He said, there's a bunch of you preachers in this room today that are not rejoicing over the right things. You're rejoicing, and you're rejoicing about some things that have to do with church. You're rejoicing about a new building. You may be rejoicing about a chandelier out there in the vestibule that you're trying to get up the money for. Maybe the parking lot out in the church, in front of the church. It may be things that don't have a whole lot to do with church at all. It may be going to Georgia football games, Georgia Tech football games, whatever. But I'm telling you, a bunch of you here, because I know some of you, you're rejoicing in things that are good in themselves. But the problem is you're rejoicing in those things more than you are seeing a lost son of weeping his heart out in repentance and coming to the Father and being saved. 
And I'm telling you, friend, if you are rejoicing, he's saying this to me, if you're rejoicing more than those things, no matter how good they may be put in their proper place, you are a carnal, carnal, carnal Christian if you're even saved at all. Y'all may think that's over the top, but I want to tell you something. That's what this boy that day needed to hear because I was rejoicing in things. I did, I did not have a heart for lost people. I did not have a heart for lost people. Man, when that service was over, I made a beeline for my car. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I got in my car in that parking lot, and it was a sanctuary for me to sit there and weep. And guys, I don't mean little gentlemanly tears running down. I mean boohooing. And I went, I cranked that car, and I got on Interstate 20, headed home. And I'll be honest with you, I thought I was going to have to pull over because I couldn't see for the tears. I got home and shared that with my wife. I got on my knees, and I prayed. I said, God, I don't have, I don't have a broken heart for lost people. Would you fix that? And he did. He did. And I have never, ever gotten over that. Are you rejoicing in more things this morning than you are in seeing lost people come to the Savior? I have no idea if anybody in here is. All I know that if that's what happened to me, I was, and God fixed it. And see, we don't want to give away a tool, a great tool. And as I said earlier, this tool that GMO has gotten for us to give you is the greatest tool since the Bible that God's given us. And you know, when he fixed me, I began to study about missions. I began to study about people in my own community. I mean, we got a lot of people that's lost. We got people in Green County that's lost. You know, where I live, it was full of lost people. But the whole world is full of lost people. How are we going to fix that? You know, and I remember thinking, hey, back then, Jimmy, when I first started studying about that, I said, you know, it was great stuff happening. I read some statistics that said that we had, we were winning people, lost people throughout the world three times faster than the population of the world was growing. Well, that's not the case now. In fact, we're not, grow we're not winning people at the same rate. We're about 2% behind. And I think, man, you know, it got where it worried me. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do the Great Commission if we can't even keep up with the population of the world? 1981, the Jesus film, you remember that, came out? They won 325 million people to Christ since that film. Through that film, Baptists have the... Gutenberg II project is winning many, many people to Christ, but still it's a drop in the bucket. Lo and behold, he's given us good Gutenberg II. They're doing wonderful work with it. Thank God for it. But GMO, this is something, folks, that we can win the world. We can win the world and maybe even in your lifetime. I'm going to tell you something else in just a few minutes in, in line with that. But the hearts of the men and the women and young people need to be for God. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and energized by that spirit to go after the lost of the world with this great tool. It will never be anything else other than just another church program.
Now, I've said that, and I'm through with that. I want you, if you got any questions about what I said afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. What I think we'll do now, rather than me say anything else, Tom, is just show that first video, okay? That'll enable us to get a grasp on what we're talking about with GMO. Every day, more than two million people search the internet for God, for meaning, for hope. People in crisis, facing loneliness, addictions, suicide, domestic abuse, divorce, joblessness, hopelessness. I became addicted to internet pornography. Online gambling totally hooked me. So I'm looking for love on the internet. My husband was beating me. I had nowhere to turn. I'm all alone. I have no family, no friends. And when I got home, I had lost my job. And now I'm desperate. I can't get thoughts of suicide out of my mind. I'm searching for anything to fill the emptiness inside. 76 million Americans say they have no one they can confide in. With nowhere to turn, people in astonishing numbers worldwide are turning to the Internet, trying to fill the emptiness inside. The Internet is becoming the leading battlefront for the hearts and minds of men, women, and young people. We need to be there to meet them at their crossroads when they are most ready to listen. By the year 2020, there will be 8.5 billion people on Earth. International telecommunications firms are working to get the entire world connected to the Internet by the year 2015. Nothing like this has happened in human history. What does this mean for the future of Christian missions worldwide? It means that internet evangelism and discipleship must be a top priority to help fulfill the Great Commission. That's why global media outreach is flooding the internet with the gospel, along with online resources and manpower for personal discipleship. We're harnessing the power of the internet opening the widest possible door for the spread of the gospel in the 21st century. We're sharing the good news, seeing people come to Jesus, and making disciples on a global scale we never imagined possible. Right now, the destiny of millions of lives for good or for evil will be determined by the moral and spiritual choices made here in the search window of their computer. If we are not there to meet them with the good news in their time of spiritual crisis, who will be? Now we know why God gave us the internet, right? Most powerful tool that I've ever seen. And somebody like me who I, I, I can barely get the computer turned on, but even people like me can do this and do this ministry. And Tom, I'm, yeah, Tom, if you'd go ahead and put that up and let's talk a little bit about this. This gives you in real time, it gives you in real time what's going on with online missionaries throughout the world. 
This is the the website www.greatcommission2020.com. You can go on to it. You can do it at your own home. Look at it. But if you look in the right on the right side upper corner, there's 57,290 people. This is in a 24-hour sequence. It starts Pacific time one second after 12 every morning. And in that time frame, since that came up this morning, you've had 57,302 people engage either being on our websites. GMO has over 100 websites. Or they have been in dialogue with our online missionaries. You see that number below that? That's 7,423 people have accepted Christ worldwide. The third one, let me, let me give you the fourth one. We're still getting clarity on this is brand new, the third one. But the fourth one shows the, the uh, discipleship that's going on with online missionaries and those people out there in the different parts of the world. Some of them have already been saved. Some are about to make a decision. We're running about 350,000 people a 24-hour sequence. And about 15, 14 for 15 percent of those people are coming to Christ. It's awesome. It's powerful. Can you scroll down, Tom, a little bit to the bottom? I can't really. Anyway, I can't. I can't get clarity on that. But at the bottom, it, it will give you the website that those people originally went to. Uh, it'll show you where they are what part of the world that they're, they're in. It's, it's, this is amazing technology, folks. It's, 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 it's absolutely uh, a breakthrough, and I'm serious. This is why Jesus, this is why the Holy Spirit, this is why God gave us the Internet. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. The blue is, that's, that you see pop up there, that will be people who are in dialogue. And you'll see Mountain View, United States. <clears throat> That's people in yellow there that have accept, accepted Christ. It's color-coded for your identification of what's going on. And those are, as, you, as I said earlier, those are the, in the left at the bottom there, those are the websites that they, uh, how they contacted us. That first uh, one guy in the United States, a person, the second one's United States, and the next one is in India. And that's constantly 24 Okay, Tom. While Tom's doing that, let me read you something. Well, here we go. Go ahead. Take a look at this. This is in Afghanistan. Now has 15 million cell telephone subscribers, 15 million. Middle East and Arab countries have 300 million subscribers. And when I say telephone now, they can pick what we're trying to give them up on cell phones just like they can on a laptop computer or a regular computer. India, at 710 million more, have cell phones than they have indoor plumbing. And I'll tell you one reason why. You and I go down and buy an iPhone, it's going to cost us a couple of hundred dollars, isn't it? They can buy a cell phone over there for near nothing because the people who advertise on that cell phone 
pay the cost of them having it. Had a talking to a friend here a while back who was in Calcutta telling me, he said it was a, a guy that was a beggar on the street has a cell phone. And he said, I began to dialogue with him. And he said, the Americans, for some reason here lately, they don't, they're not giving us any money, the beggars. He said, yeah, you got a cell phone in your hand. They don't think you need one if you can buy a cell phone. I think the guy started hiding his cell phone. But it's amazing. Africa has 400 million cell subscribers. Now, here's a question that I've been asked by a lot of mission pastors and pastors. Wait a minute. How do you know when you lead somebody to Christ on the Internet, how do you know that takes? And I heard Mike Rainey say, well, how do you know that the people who walk down the aisles of your church, how do you know that it takes? And I want, you to, I want you to look at this because they've done some survey that I think are quite impressive. Annual survey of people who indicated a decision six to 18 months prior to the survey. They went back and they asked them, very certain of their salvation, 88%. 90% said five to 10 minutes in daily prayer. Okay? 74% life changed daily due to prompting of the Holy Spirit. 73% read Bible weekly. 40% said daily. And 62% attend church or small groups weekly. 90%, 90% shared their faith one or more times. How has, been, how has being an OM, online missionary, helped spiritually? You can read that. More confidence in sharing my faith, 62%. Just look at the stats and look at that. And I, and I will tell you, that rivals what we see done, done and the results of what we see of people who walk the aisles of our own church. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Let me share one other thing. Tom, is that, that's all we got before the... Okay, let me just say a couple of things that, uh, about GMO. Dr. Alan Bieber, who's become a dear friend of mine and Vicky's and also Mike Rainey's, uh, started this program not intending for it to be the two that it finally became. Back in 2004 when he was full-time with Campus Crusade. And he began to do... Uh, computer work, seeing how many people that he could get to come and do dialogue, trying to get nucleuses of people on college campuses throughout America who were interested in, in the things of God. And in doing that, they found that there was over 2 million people a day going on the Internet asking questions about God. Now, they have since found that it's more like 4 to 4.5 million people going on the Internet every day asking questions about God. As a result of that, they begin to put and train online missionaries to respond to these people, to dialogue with them. And they begin to lead people to Christ in 2004. Now let me fast forward to what's happening now. In 2010, we had approximately 570 online missionaries, and that involved about 140 churches. Now think about that, 140 churches. The target we have to go forward to 
is 50,000 churches. The figures I'm giving you here, 140, that's less than 2%. That's less than two-tenths of 1%. What's going to happen to those numbers when we get up to 5%? And let me give you those numbers. Well, the people that I just gave you, the, the 500 and some odd uh, online missionaries in the 140 churches in 2010, we had over 15 and a half million people come to Christ with less than two tenths of one percent of the churches that we're targeting. And guys, I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but it, it, if, that, if that doesn't make your heater heat up, your wood's wet, okay? This is exciting stuff. My church, where I go at Mount Parent, we started in 2000, May of 2010, training online missionaries. We're the first church in Atlanta to do it. And by May of the next year, we had 41 online missionaries trained. And those online missionaries, those 41 in a 12-month period, brought over 10,000 people into the kingdom of God. That's exciting stuff. We're going to double that by, we, we nearly doubled the online missionaries in our church. Now, we probably will have it triple by year's end, okay? I'm going to read you one scripture. <clears throat> This is Revelation 14, 6 through 7. I listen to this. My pastor, David Cooper, Dr. Alan Bieber that I just mentioned, and yours truly heard Peavy, believes this scripture from Revelation pertains to GMO. Listen. Revelation 14, 6. Then I saw another angel. Another word for angel is messenger. Flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the springs of water. One other thing. I was sharing with a friend of mine, a retired Methodist preacher, in Athens about this and I gave them those numbers of in 2010 of 15 and a half million people and he said Herb I can't believe that I promise you I'm reading a back of that night a back of one five and it says look at the nations and watch and you will be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I want you to think about this. I want you to pray about this. And you may think, hey, I can't do this. I got so much to do. I, I just, there's too much going on. I, I don't know. I don't know where you are. But I'm going to leave you with a video, and I want you to watch it. And after that video, I want you to reconsider what you may think you might do about this. Thank you.
was born in April of 1976. Um, at first, it wasn't obvious that she had any disabilities, but we found out when she was about a year old that she had cerebral palsy. As a disabled person, I don't get out of the house much, so my opportunities to share my faith are very limited. When I heard about global media outreach at my church, I wanted to be a part of it. I knew that this would be a good opportunity for me. I've wanted to go on mission trips and things, but I feel like that's pretty impossible. And thus, I felt unable to do part of what the Lord told us to do. For me, it's a quiet marvel. When we hear the Lord say, go into the world, and we want with all of our hearts to do that, and that we, but, but we realize, but I can't do that. That he says, oh, <laughs> I have a way. <laughs> I make a way. Working with Global Media Outreach allows me to share the knowledge and experience I have as a Christian. It also allows me to pray for different people all over the world. I hear from someone who has either just gotten saved or has rededicated his life to the Lord most every day. I've started writing someone lately who seems very interested in knowing more. By that, I think he's pretty hungry for the Lord. Getting a chance to see Sarah work as an online missionary was probably one of the most exciting and humbling experiences I've ever had. The things that she has to go through just to answer one email, it's amazing to me. But to see that she does it with such a, such a willing spirit and a desire to reach the lost, she's doing what every Christian on the face of the earth should be doing, and that's sharing the good news of the gospel. She's being a witness for Jesus. She's taken what God's given her and said, let me use that to glorify him. And so here she is, someone who can't even feed herself, giving out the bread of life to so many thousands of people. Through my work with GMO, I have seen that God can use me and anyone else he wants to further his kingdom. And I like being useful. As disabled as I am, sometimes it feels like all I do is have others do for me. I don't feel like I give much back. GMO is definitely a place I can give back to the Lord. It's awesome to me that, that he has called her and with the calling provided her the 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 work using a computer is something most people can do email is kind of an equalizer for me working with gmo allows me to be in touch with new believers from every part of the world my life may be very limited because of my disability but through global media outreach i can touch the world We've taken extra time this morning because this is an opportunity for you to at least prayerfully consider how God might have you plug into something like this. We already have some individuals both in our church and in our community who've been exposed to this and said, I want to be a part of it. And I realize it's awfully intimidating. Uh, you have a hard time sharing the gospel in the community, let alone around the world, to people of different cultures. But you're not in this by yourself. There's training involved. But there's also an extensive online database that you can pull in information. So if you're in over your head, you've got a resource you can pull in. 
And if you ever do get to a point where you feel like I need to hand this off to someone else, I'm in over my head, you can do that. All you need to do is to, to let the person above you know that, hey, I need to move this over to someone else. This is not comfortable for me. And they'll be able to take that and give that to someone else. We just want to let you know that there's an opportunity for you. This green sheet just gives you a chance to indicate one of three responses. And if you can write one up here if there's not one there that fits. But basically that you're ready to commit to be a part of it. I've seen this. I'm ready to move forward. Get me trained. Let's go. The second one is that you, you're willing to consider it, to get more information, to come to, a, come to a session where you can learn a little bit more about it and find out a little bit more intimately what's involved in that. And, and the third one basically says, you know, I'm not quite ready to participate right now. I don't really want to get involved in, in no, uh, you know, coming to another meeting. But it's something I will pray for as the church moves forward with this. The elders are excited about it. The pastoral staff is excited about it. We're ready to move forward with it. And we're inviting many of you uh, to, to give it a shot. It's something you can do at your kitchen table with a cup of coffee and a laptop. All you need is a heart for missions and a connection to the Internet. And, and we'll help train you and get you moving along the way. When you check this, then all you want to do is just leave it right in the seat. When you leave, we'll make sure that we come back, collect those, and that will give us a resource to know that you are ready.